welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review so others can find the show too. In the fall of 2022, students in Agriculture and Food Systems 201, System Skills for Agricultural and Food Systems, were given the assignment to speak with someone in WSU Extension to identify a topic of interest and interview a person knowledgeable on that topic for a podcast episode. We have selected two of the podcast episodes to share with you. This podcast episode was created by Andrew Darnell, Jake McNeil, King Hernandez, Mackenzie Shattuck, and Avery Jacob. I think you will enjoy it. Hello, this podcast has been developed by Washington State University students in partnership with WSU Extension as part of our Agriculture and Food Systems class. My name is Mackenzie Shattuck, and I'm studying agriculture education. Working with me is King Hernandez, studying agriculture technology production management, Avery Jacob, studying animal science, Andrew Darnell, studying organic and sustainable agriculture, Jake McNeil, studying organic and sustainable agriculture. Today we will be discussing the Washington State Senate Bill 5172, more commonly known as the Farm Worker Overtime Bill with Washington State Tree Fruit President, Don Devaney. For those that don't know, Washington State Senate Bill 5172 removes the agricultural exemption from paying farm workers overtime. As of January 1st, 2022, the bill is in effect and all farmers must pay their workers overtime in Washington State. So, could you just give me a general overview of what Washington State Senate Bill 5172 is? Sure. Um, before I go into the, what the bill did, there's a little context of uh, why it was it was enacted. Um, the Washington State uh, Supreme Court was hearing a case challenging the overtime exemption for dairy workers. Uh, Columbia Legal Services and a couple of dairy employees were suing the DeRuder Brothers Dairy in Sunnyside saying that they uh, they had made a number of wage complaints. And among those was that they were being uh, not paid overtime and that the overtime exemption was unconstitutional in their case. Uh, that went to the Supreme Court. And in, uh, in November of 2020, the Washington State Supreme Court ruled that the overtime exemption was a uh, unfair, unconstitutional grant of privileges and immunities uh, to a specific category of employers. So they only struck down the overtime exemption for those particular dairy workers, uh, for dairy employees, uh, because they were the folks at issue in the case. But the arguments made said that the Supreme Court, if asked the question, would find uh, the overtime exemption unconstitutional for any other agricultural employees. So we were looking at a situation across agriculture where the first time someone brought a lawsuit, 
uh, relating to other employees, it was likely to be found unconstitutional by our state Supreme Court. So there was going to have to be some action by the legislature to clarify the status of agriculture. Uh, in Washington state, perpetuating the exemption was going to be a very heavy lift. Uh, and employers at the same time were very concerned uh, because the Supreme Court also left open the door to say, well, if the, if the exemption is unconstitutional, you should have been paying overtime in the past. And so there was a flurry of lawsuits being filed at first against those dairy employers saying, you owe us three years of back overtime pay and penalties. <laughs> so a, lot, a number of agricultural employers were looking at uh, their wage and uh, records for the past three years and said, if anyone sues me on this matter, it's like the Supreme Court has pretty much said it's going to strike down the exemption and I could see millions of dollars in penalties uh, for not having paid back wages, which at the time was what the law said. <laughs> so that raised a whole lot of concern. Uh, so agricultural groups went to the legislature and said, we, we see what the Supreme Court has done to dairy and is likely to do to the rest of agriculture. You can't do this to us overnight and you can't do it retroactively. Uh, changing the rules retroactively is not fair <laughs> to people who are following the law as it was written and understood. Um, so the legislature had a long debate on that issue and did agree to shield from retroactive claims employers in agriculture, including dairy employers, uh, and to provide for employers in agriculture other than dairy a three-year phase-in period. Uh, so in 2022, the overtime ceiling is 55 hours for the rest of agriculture. It will be 48 hours uh, you know, before overtime kicks in in 2023, before going to 40 hours in uh, 2024. You know, For dairy employers who were the ones uh, sued and subject to the Supreme Court's decision, they were immediately subject to the 40-hour overtime threshold. Uh, so a lot of folks would in agriculture ask, well, why did we agree to this? Well, we'd already lost in the Supreme Court level, and we gained a phase-in period and protection for retroactive claims by doing it this way, uh, which, was a, which was a benefit. Um, but what we did not get and had been seeking was some additional seasonal flexibility. Uh, agriculture is unique in that uh, we don't necessarily schedule our work the way manufacturing does. And we do not establish the hours of operation of our businesses. We're subject to what weather dictates of when work needs to be done. And so in other states that have overtime pay for agriculture, they've either provided limited seasonal exemptions or higher thresholds for overtime pay. Uh, so that workers can get the hours that they were used to working and that and the pay they were used to earning uh, without having to trigger overtime. You know, in the case of those dairy employers uh, and dairy workers, there was a lot of sympathy for providing overtime pay because many of those workers were working uh, over 40 hours a week, you know, 50, 52 weeks a year. Uh, that looks very different than other agricultural employers who might go over 40 hours and have longer days for short bursts of activity and then drop back down to normal 40 hour a week thresholds or even less. You might only have workers employed for a few weeks uh, to do harvest work, for example. Uh, and so that is something that we are still talking to the legislature about uh, because as we know, uh, in, in agriculture, the margins are so narrow and you know, the profit margins when they exist at all <laughs> are very narrow and slim. Uh, and so there's just no ability to pay uh, overtime for most agricultural employers. And so what will happen instead is 
instead of offering more hours to the workers that you have, you're going to say, I can only pay you 40 hours a week. Uh, after that, you're going to have to go somewhere else, find other work. Uh, and I will have to try to find additional employees to supplement what I might need, uh, whether that's additional domestic workers moving between employers or it's more reliance on the H-2A temporary agricultural guest worker program. Uh, we haven't really seen the full effects of that yet uh, because this year was a 55-hour uh, threshold. Uh, and also many of our crops, because of the cold spring that we had, had much lighter crops this year. You know, in my own industry, cherries were down about 40% from the previous year, and apples are down about 20%. Uh, and so there was just less fruit to be picked this year. Uh, but if we have heavier crops in the future and a lower threshold, we are going to see a lot of very unhappy workers who are just told that they can't work the number of hours they're used to unless they move from employer to employer. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is going to hurt a lot of farmers, especially smaller farmers. Um, can you tell me some of the short and long-term impacts this will have on farmers? Well, employers are going to have a much harder time managing their workforce uh, because they'll have to make decisions about, you know, can they afford to pay overtime? In many cases, the answer is no, unless they have a very high value crop um, and the profit margin to still you know, break even while paying time and a half overtime. Uh, and so in many cases, their choice is, you know, can I afford to pay that or not? And if not, Am I going to let the crop not get picked uh, or am I going to try to find workers elsewhere? Uh, if you have to cap those employees at 40 hours, are you instead going to try to find workers from somewhere else? That can be a very complicated uh, thing to accomplish. Um, it, the labor market is very tight in agriculture and has been for several years. Uh, and so the ability to find workers on short notice to meet those uh, surges of need. Uh, for example, if you're having an impending freeze or uh, a need to harvest before it, you know, there's rain or freeze event, or if you're having warmer weather and crops are ripening faster than expected, um, you may not have the ability to plan far in advance to recruit the workers that you need. That's a particular burden on smaller uh, employers who may not have the networks of current employees who can refer friends and, and acquaintances to employment. Um, and it also makes it much harder to access one of the few alternatives, which is the H-2A temporary ag worker visa program. Uh, that program is extremely complicated to use. Uh, there's a lot of regulatory requirements and severe penalties if you don't follow the program correctly. And you're also required to pay all the visa costs, the transportation costs for bringing workers from their home in their home country up to Washington State and back again. And you have to provide that housing for the workers at no cost while they're here. Uh, not every farmer can afford to build apartment buildings uh, and provide that at no cost to their employees. And certainly not if you're only going to be employing them for a couple of weeks. Uh, that tends to be only something that works for larger employers who can justify that cost because they have diversified operations and will be uh, employing those workers for months at a time. So it is going to mean that the workforce management challenges for smaller growers become even more complex, uh, and it will push those larger employers to use the H-2A program uh, more frequently. Um, I definitely think there will be a lot of unhappy farm workers coming out of this. Uh, can you tell me some of the effects that it'll have on farm workers? 
Farm workers are going to uh, have either a loss of hours. Uh, if they if the employer can't afford to pay them overtime, the employer will just say instead of working you know fifty hours a week or forty five hours a week at uh, at their current wage rate, they're only going to get forty hours. Uh, and after that, you're you're just going to have to live on that or find a second job. Uh, and though because that's just the financial reality that employer is facing. And those uh, employees then will have to try to find uh, work that fits around their existing schedule. Uh, and it may not be in the same commuting location that they're used to. Uh, and it makes the scheduling of their and of their working lives that much more complicated. Uh, agriculture was told that um, overtime pay was something that you know, was common in other industries, and so it should not be a problem. But anyone who knows people who work in the restaurant industry or in retail know people who work multiple jobs and have to balance schedules from multiple employers, and that that is not an ideal situation for them either. Uh, it, it is a very difficult uh, circumstance for those workers, and it's not not something that the employer necessarily chooses for them, but it's something that. Uh, you know, is an economic reality when those employers can't afford time and a half overtime. I know that there's a lot of workers that they work so many hours and it's going to be unrealistic for a lot of farmers to pay them overtime. Are there any, have you heard of any farmers talking about uh, putting workers on salary or is that even an option? Salary is might be an option for a few workers, but the salary thresholds are high to be an exempt salaried employee. It's not just a, it's a salary threshold and also a duties threshold. So you have to have supervisory responsibilities, independent or professional work uh, kinds of job descriptions uh, and clearing the salary threshold, which is currently being phased up to higher levels. So most farm workers would not qualify on either the salary or the duties and responsibilities tests to be an exempt salaried employee. Okay. Um, I see a lot of new technology in agriculture every day, and I was wondering if you think that this farm bill will push farmers to... Uh, start putting more money into research and developing new technology to use on farms. Yeah, um, the shortage of available agricultural workers is something that's been increasingly acute for a decade and more. Uh, a lot of agriculture organizations have been investing in research on developing automation technologies uh, or labor assisting technologies to make their existing workforce more productive. Uh, that was already the case, and certainly the the advent of ag overtime has accelerated that need. Uh, you don't just flip a switch and, and get a, a research innovation. Uh, it, that's a many years long process involving a lot of both public and private funds doing, uh, doing laboratory research and field testing. Uh, but certainly this has contributed to the interest in and ongoing support for research and labor saving technologies. Uh, those are going to be, they're, they're in the process of being developed, but they're not going to be a panacea. And they're, they're not initially going to be cheap. And so not every employer is going to have the capital available to buy very expensive pieces of, of high-tech equipment, for example, robots to, to do harvest work uh, the first time they're available. Uh, that is something that uh, already cash-strapped growers are going to find challenging to to uh, bear as an expense. So certain producers might be able to make that work 
but it's going to be some time before the technology becomes affordable enough that it can you know, readily solve the labor problems across agriculture. Uh, it's also the case that um, you know, those technologies are not going to replace labor entirely. They're probably going to change how much labor you need or how uh, what kinds of employees you need. Uh, and that creates some of its own problems. Uh, you know, the uh, the research into automation, for example, is going to increase the need to hire people with technical and computer skills uh, who are already hard to recruit in this economy. They're in so much demand and telling someone that you really want them to come and work for a farm in you know central or eastern Washington rather than working for Amazon or Microsoft can be a tough sell uh, when they can make stock options and other things in a high tech startup. I definitely think that technology will be a huge role in agriculture soon. Um, I know that labor intensive crops and uh, mostly will be the ones that are affected by this bill. What industries will be or what crops and farmers that grow certain crops, which industries will be most affected by this bill? Well, you're correct that it's the most labor intensive who are going to be uh, most directly affected by anyone who has uh paid agricultural workers uh, is going are going to see their employment costs increase. And uh, many of those, even agricultural employers in, in crops that don't have a lot of employees, you know, they tend to be lower, even lower margin kind of producers. And so that can still be a, a significant portion of their overall production costs. Uh, the biggest are the you know, impacted uh, crops would be, of course, the fruit and vegetable crops like uh, apples, pears, cherries, but also hops, uh, blueberries, wine grapes, um, uh, you know, many of these kinds of specialty uh, vegetable crops as well. I was talking to a producer of uh, a zucchini recently who reminded me that zucchini grows several inches a day <laughs> during summer weather. And so there's just, you know, there's no way to put off harvest work on some of those vegetable crops when you, you have a very narrow window to complete your harvest activities. Um, and the last question that I have for you is, do you know if any other states or any other parts of the country are implementing laws like this? Yes, California had already uh, passed a phase in for agricultural overtime. Uh, Colorado is moving in that direction, as is New York. Uh, they all have, and, and Oregon, they all have slightly different uh, provisions. Uh, but certainly there's multiple other states, uh, largely those, uh, you know, of the center left, um, you know, those are blue states, if you will, have moved first on the issue. Uh, and the bigger concern is that when you do this kind of change on a patchwork basis, you put the producers in those states at a competitive disadvantage to those who have not already adopted those kinds of rules. Um, so if you are a uh, producer in New York growing uh, fruit or vegetable crops and you're competing against, uh, you know, competitors in neighboring states, uh, Ohio or New England that have not adopted those rules, you're going to see yourself at a competitive disadvantage. Uh, same thing with producers in Oregon and Washington relative to those in Idaho. Uh, so that creates a lot of challenges within local and regional agricultural markets. Okay, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you. Enjoyed it as well. Thank you for having me and uh, good luck with your project and with your class. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. You too. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode produced by AFS 201 students, Andrew Darnell, Jake McNeil, 
King Hernandez, Mackenzie Shattuck, and Avery Jacob. And thank you to their guest, John Devaney, President of the Washington State Tree Fruit Association. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear in future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon, that's L-Y-O-N, at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications and the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.